0: Welcome to today's podcast. Today we're going to be reading a story from, I believe, the second edition or the third edition called He Who Loses His Life from the Alcoholic Anonymous Big Book. The story is called Come On, Be Happy Too. And uh, that's a new article. The uh, author wrote a new article about, oh, 15, 20 20 years later, and the grapevine published it here. So I'm going to read the article, and then I'm going to help Patrick read the story. I'll read half. you will read half. So here we go. Let's go ahead and open this one with the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. This is by the author of He Who Loses His Life. Look back over 20 plus years of sobriety. 20 years later, dry one day at a time for 20 years, once that would have seemed an unendurable sentence to be faced. In retrospect, the years have been so busy, so happy, so full of fulfillment that no one of those 7,300 days have been long enough, and I have been happy not frivolously and determinedly cheerful, but deep down happy. A happiness so basic that it can withstand the occasional shocks of anger, frustration, impatience, and bone fatigue that once would have sent me to the nearest and quickest alcoholic escape. Fifteen years ago, I wrote my story for the big book. In it, I said that I belonged to the school of AA thought which teaches that successful membership in AA frees us so that we may range the world in a manner of speaking like any other human being practically expressed this viewpoint means that I do not feel the necessary necessity excuse me of going to meetings constantly I go whenever I have a 12-step case to work with I never turn down a 12-step case And on my anniversary, I do not go out looking for 12-step cases as a means of ensuring my continuous sobriety. Yet, I always tell my friends and even casual strangers, when I am in their company and they are having a drink, why do I not drink? I am an AA. A friend has remarked that she considers me the alcoholic, the least anonymous she ever heard of. (laughs) This procedure has brought me more than a a few 12-step cases, always its illicit inquiries and usually intense interest about the unorganized organization called AA. If there is this interest, I explain briefly my own experience before and after joining AA, smile, accept congratulations, secretly giving thanks inside myself for the philosophy I have hooked on to. For I am hooked on AA. That is the most certain thing I know. And it makes me happy to shoot arrows into the air. I also believe that as soon as they are a bit competent in AA, the newcomers should carry the 12 step work. That's how I got well doing constant and intense 12 step work, privately, in groups, and in hospitals. I did it for a number of years joyously. Now when I acquire a new customer, as soon as it is sensible to do so, I transfer him to an AA member younger in AA than I am, and so I am convinced, provide him with some of the help and opportunity he needs to better himself as well as the new candidate. I keep liquor in my home and serve it to friends. I literally do not want any. It's not deprivation for me to act as bartender for everyone except myself. I go to cocktail parties early and leave early before my friends and the other guests get silly and argumentative and boring. I have served my time paying back to the boredom I inflicted on others when I got drunk. Sometimes I pick up a 12-step case at one of these parties. Anyone tailing me as I move around the big city where I live might think me a liar and a hypocrite for an occasional I go alone into a bar. The answer is simple. From the old bad days, I know where the washrooms are and, of course, when you gotta go, you gotta go. (laughs) American cities are notoriously short of this kind of convenience. The most likely place always is in a bar. My intent in writing such detail is, hopefully, to reassure the candidates for AA who hesitate about coming to that first meeting or keeping on On coming, joining AA does not mean to me the taking of perpetual vows of abstinence through years that loom ahead bleakly. Of course, this is why we have the 24-hour plan. But even so, two years before I achieved sobriety in AA... A friend told me not to come near her again until I had been sober for 10 years. I yelled, I'd rather be dead than face such a terrible future. (laughs) Her reply did not comfort me. Keep on as you are and you will be dead. I knew that, but I did not know that in achieving sobriety in AA, I also achieved the freest kind of freedom. If freedom can be qualified, I will achieve the freedom of choice. I like all hesitant candidates to know that and to accept it, that they are not necessarily committing themselves to a life of bondage, however, healing that bondage might be. No one would be in despair because, yeah, let's take a pause. Let me take a pause and ask Patrick to continue the reading here. All right. Thank you.
1: I'm Patrick, and I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Continuing this reading, n- no, one, no one would be in despair because his body cannot handle strawberries. Well, my body just can't handle alcohol, that's all. So it happens. I've had my gallbladder out and can't eat grapes, but that circumstance does not make me con- contemplate suicide. The doctors assured me that my past drinking had nothing to do with the gallbladder trouble for any possible curious readers of this essay. Mm -hmm. Now, while I go to mess meetings, only occasionally I use AA daily, hourly. I might say every waking hour of my life. I have to deal with a lot of people. Frequently, I am in the position of being able to help them in many ways. Thanks to AA, I am more tolerant and, I hope, more understanding of others. A certain form of impatience is minimized. I'm working on it. The sarcasm is replaced by, at least, an intention, wit, or maybe just good humor, good nature. I hope I am easier, easier to live with. And behind the anonymity of this essay, I will confess to but joy that approaches smugness in performing good deeds, also kept anonymous, if possible. You wouldn't think that at my age anyone could be so naive. Ah, truly, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let not your right hand know what your left hand doeth. Retire to a private place for your prayers. Bread cast on the waters, and so on. Believe me, it's all true, at least it's true for me. Selfishly, for me, the best that I'm in command. No compulsion by anything drives me to actions that I don't really want to do, don't approve of, and know are wrong. I hope I am no less human for being dry, 20 years plus dry, in AA. The bad old years, the years of suffocating in the deep morass of alcoholism, are years I could have used to advantage had I not been trapped by this hideous disease. There were seven or eight years before I found AA. Oh, how could I have used those years? But they were not wasted. They stripped me of everything, including self-respect. But they made me ready for the happiness of the last 20 years in AA. Come on, man, join us. Be happy, too. All you have to do is change your life, is change your mind. And that was from EBR, Manhattan, New York.
0: Amen. And here's the story. <clears throat> he who loses his life out of the, uh, a former big book, that a story that's been taken out. The same writer writes the original story. An ambitions playwright, he lets his brains get so far ahead of his emotions that he collapsed into suicidal drinking. To learn to live, he nearly died. I remember the day when I decided to drink myself to death, quietly, without bothering anyone, because I was tired of having been a dependable, trustworthy person for about 39 years without having received what I thought was a proper reward for my virtue. (laughs) That was the day that was the decision. I know now when I cross over the line and be came an active alcoholic, perhaps a better way of saying it is that on that day, with that decision, I no longer f- fought drinking as an escape. Rather, I embraced it. I must in- honestly admit it with a great sense of relief. I no longer had to pretend. I was giving up the struggle. Things weren't going as I thought they should. For my great enjoyment, comfort, and fame Therefore, if the universe wouldn't play my way, I wouldn't play at all. I, a man of steel with very high ideals, well brought up, an honor student of the recipients of scholarships and prizes, a boy wonder in business, I, Bob, the author of this essay, looked and saw that the universe was beneath my contempt and that to remove myself from it was the only thing of dignity a man can do. Since perhaps suicide was a bit too drastically, actually, I was afraid, dry martinis were chosen as a slow, pleasant, private, gradual instrument of (laughs) self-destruction. And it was nobody's business, nobody but mine, so I thought. Within a month, the police, the hospital authorities, several kind strangers... Most of my friends, all of my close relatives, and a few adepts of rolling, at rolling a drunk and removing his wristwatch and wallet, had been involved. There was a time, for about three months, when I bought a ten-dollar wristwatch every payday, that is, every two weeks. Since it was wartime, I explained that to the somewhat startled shopkeeper that I had many friends in the service whom I was. <laughs> remembering with a watch, perhaps without realizing I was. On that day of decision, I didn't acknowledge that I was an alcoholic. My proud southern blood would have boiled if anyone had named me such a despicable thing. No, it can be explained in a little phrase I coined and sang to myself. What happened to Bob? Bob found alcohol. (laughs) And having sung that phrase, I chuckled with amusement, turning into irony, turning into self-contempt, turning into self-pity at the sad fate of Bob, that wonderful, poor, little, motherless boy who was so smart in school and who grew up to accept responsibility so early and so fast, and who staggered under his burden without the whimper until this time came when he thought he was too good for this world, and so he sought to be out of it. Poor Bob. Here we go.
1: All right. Patrick, a recovering alcoholic once again. Uh, We'll leave off with poor Bob. That was one aspect of it, and a true one. There were several others. There was loneliness, there was the necessity for sticking to a job I hated, a dull, repetitive job performed in association with other men I had nothing in common with. Performed for years on end because the money was needed at home. There was the physical aspect. be the youngest and the runt of the brood of children, to have to wear glasses very early and so to be test-teased, to be bookish and bored in school because the captain of the football team could not translate Virgil and yet was a school god while you, you, you little shrimp were the school egghead junior, sh- junior size and an early model there was the father one lost for lost respect for at the age of 11 because the father broke his solemn word in a circumstance where you 11 years old had assumed guilt when you were innocent But the father would not believe you no matter what. And to ease his suffering, you confessed and were forgiven. Only months later, to have your guilt brought up, only he and you knew what he was talking about. Brought up in front of the stern grandmother. The sacred word was broken, and you never trusted your father again and avoided him. When he died, you were unmoved. You were thirty-five before you understood your father's horrible anguish and forgave him and loved him again. For you learned that he had been guilty of the thing he had accused you of, and his guilt had brought suffering to his entire family. And he thought he saw his young son beginning his own tragic pattern. These things were all pressures, for by thirty-five I had been drinking for a few years. The pressure had started long ago, Sometimes we were told in AA not to try and learn the reasons for our drinking. But such is my nature that I must know the reasons for things, and I didn't stop until I had satisfied myself about the reasons for my drinking. Only having found them, I threw them away and ordered another extra dry martini, for to have accepted the reasons and to have acted on them would have been too great a blow to my ego which was as great in reverse as my body was small. <clears throat> in my 20s, I found Edna St. Vincent Millay's verse. Pity me, the heart that is slow to learn, what the quick mind sees at every turn. That couplet contains most of my reasons for drinking. There was the love affair, which was ridiculous. Imagine that midget being able to fall in love and my head knew it while my heart pumped real, genuine anguish. For it hurt like hell, and since it was first love, things have never been quite the same. There was the overweening ambition to be the world's greatest author when, at 39, I had nothing of importance to say to the world. There was the economic fear which made me too timid to take any action which might improve my circumstances. There was a sense of being misunderstood, when, as a matter of fact, by my middle 20s I was quite popular, although I hadn't grown much bigger physically, but the feeling was a crutch, an excuse. It was my secret garden, bluntly, it was my retreat from life and I didn't want to give it up. For a while, for a long time, we can endure the intellect's being ahead of the emotions, which is the import of Malay's couplet. But as the years go by, the stretch becomes unbearable, and the man with the grown-up brain and the childish emotions, vanity, self-interest, false pride, jealousy, longing for social approval, to name a few, becomes a prime candidate for alcohol. To my way of thinking, that is a definition of alcoholism. The state of being in which the emotions have failed to grow to the stature of the intellect. I know there are some alcoholics who seem terribly, terribly grown up, but I think that they are trying to make themselves think that they are grown up, and the strain of their effort is what's causing them to drink. A sense of inadequacy, a childish vanity to be the most popular, the most sought after, the mostest of the most. And all of this, of course, is in the popular modern jargon, compensation for immaturity. I wish I knew a shortcut to maturity, but I wanted a cosmos, a universe all my own, which I had created where I reigned as chief top reigner and ruler over everyone else. (laughs) Which is only another way of saying, I had to be right all the time and only God can be that. Okay, I wanted to be God. I still do. I want to be one of his children, a member of of the human race. And as a child is part of his father, so do I now want to be a part of God. For always, over and above everything else, was the awfulness of the lack of meaning in life. Now for me, and to my satisfaction, I know the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to create, and the byproduct is happiness. To create. Everyone does it. Some at the instinct level, others in the arts. My personal definition, which I submit as supplying only to myself, although everyone is welcome to it who wants it, includes every waking activity of the human being. To have a creative attitude towards things is more exact meaning. To live and deal with other human beings creatively which to me means seeing God in them and respecting and worshipping this God. If I write with the air of one who has discovered the obvious, which is to say the eternal truths which have been offered to us since the beginning, forgive my callousness. I had to find these things out for myself. Alas for us men towards whom Shaw hurled his cry, must a Christ be crucified in every generation for the benefit of those who have no imagination. My serious drinking covered about seven years. In those years, I went in jail nine times, in an alcoholic ward overnight twice, and I was fired from three jobs, two of them very good ones. As I write these words, it seems incredible that these things should have happened to me, for they are truly against all my instincts and training. Well, I started to cross out that last sentence, but decided to let it stand. What a revelation of ego and arrogance still remaining in me, as if anyone, instinct and training apart, likes to be in jail or in an alcoholic war or fired from his job. After nearly eight years of sobriety in AA, I still can set down such thoughts against my instinct and training, showing that I still consider myself a special person entitled to special privileges. I ask the forgiveness of the reader and from now on I shall try to write with the humility I honestly pray for. A pattern established itself. I never was a secret drinker and I never kept a bottle at home. I'd visit one bar after another having one martini in each, and in each hoping to find someone interesting to talk to. Actually, of course, I wanted someone to listen to me, because when I had a few martinis inside, I became the great author I longed to be, and the right listener was in for some pretty high-flown theories of literature and of genius. If the listener were drunk enough, the lecturer might go on through several martinis, which I was glad to pay for. If he were still sober, chances are that very quickly I would put him down as a Philistine with no appreciation for of literary genius. Then I went on to another bar to find a new victim. I'm going to pause here and hand this back over to Fernando.
0: Fernando, alcoholic. So it was that in alcohol I found fulfillment for a little while, I was the great man I wanted to be and thought myself entitled to be just by reason of being me. I wonder if ever there has been a silver sillier reason for getting drunk all the time. Sobering up, the mind that was ahead of the emotion would impel the question, what have you written or done to be the great man? This question so insulted the emotion that Clearly, there was only one thing to do, go and get drunk again, and put that inquiring mind in its proper place, which was oblivion. Depending on the stages of drunkenness, eventually I either fought or went to sleep. Brandishing my motto, motto, which was, a little man with a stick is equal to a big man. Sometimes I vary the literally literary lecture by a fight with a big man, selected solely because he was big and I was little. I bear a few scars on my face from these fights, which I always lost, because the stick existed only in my mind. So did the water boy on the high school football team attempt to revenge himself on the big brother, who was the star quarterback. For I was the water boy, and my brother was the star quarterback, innocent of everything except the fact that he was a star quarterback. When sleep overtook me, my practice was to address and go to bed, to undress, wherever, wherever. Once this was in front of the Paramount Theater in Times Square, I was down to my short, unaware of wrongdoing, before the ambulance got there and hauled me off to a hospital, from which anxious friends rescued me later that night. Still another friend and temporary host received me at four in the morning from the charge of a policeman who had found me going to bed in a garage far from the last place I could remember having been, a fashionable bar and restaurant in the theatrical theatrical district of New York, to which I had repaired after my date for that evening a charming lady of the theater who had refused my company for obvious reasons. This time, whoever had rolled me had taken my glasses as well. They were gold. When the policeman released me to be stupefied and his exasperated friend at four in the morning, I went to my traveling bag and groped until I found, Well, let the officer speak. Ah, said the policeman. He's got... Another pair, thank God. Thank you, Mr. Policeman, whoever you are now. I mentioned that this friend was my temporary host. Need I add that such was the case because I had no money to provide a roof over my head. Still, I had had sufficient funds to get plastered because that, of course, was more important than paying my own way. Once or even twice, such incidents might be amusing repeated year on end. They are horrific, horrible, frightening, and degrading. A chronicle of tragedies which may be greater because the individual undergoing the tragedy myself knew what was happening and yet refused to do anything to stop it. One by one, the understanding friends dropped away. The helpful families finally said over long distance that, There would be no more money and that I could not come home. I say, refuse to do anything to stop it. The truth is, I did not know how to stop it, nor did I want to. Really, I had nothing to put in the place of alcohol, of the forgetfulness, of the oblivion which alcohol provides. Without alcohol, I would be really alone. Was I the disloyal sort who would turn his back on this, my last and truest friend? I fled finally after having been fired from my job by a boss who wept a little since I had worked hard He, as he gave notice for me to clear up. I went back home to a job of manual labor, where for a while I was able to keep away from alcohol, but... Not for long, now for five Friday nights in a row, I went to jail, picked up sudden with beer, which I always disliked, but which was the only drink available, in jail five consecutive Friday nights in the town where I had grown up, where I had been an honor student on high school, where a kindly kindly uncle baiting me out said, Bob, our family just doesn't do this sort of thing. I had a reply, Uncle, give the judge $10 or I'll have to work it out on the county road. I was in hell, I wandered, craving peace from one spot to another of youthful happy memory. And lo, the man I had become, I promised on the grave of a beloved sister that I would stop drinking. I mean it. I wanted to stop. I did not know how for... By now, I had been exposed once to A.A., but I had treated it as a vaudeville and had taken friends to meetings so that they, too, could enjoy the fascination of the naked revelation of suffering and recovery. I thought I had recovered. Instead, I had gone sicker. I was fatally ill. A.A. had not worked for me. The reason, as I learned later, was that I had not worked for AA. I left this hometown then after I had made a public spectacle myself in the presence of a revered teacher whose favorite pupil I had been, I could not face the boy and youth I was in the uh, reality of the contemptible man I had become. Back to the big city for another year of precarious living, Paid for largely by one or two friends, I still had not milked dry or worn to exhaustion with demands on their bounty. I worked when I could. piling Piddling jobs, I thought them. I was not capable of anything better. I stumbled agonously past the theater where in years gone by a greater star had played my play. I had even borrowed money from her. Over the past, her protest, Bob, Please don't ask me to lend you any money. You're in you're the only one who hasn't. I took her money though, I had to have it. I it paid for a ten day binge which was the end of my drinking days. Thank God that those days are gone. One another
1: Patrick again. On another small borrowed sum, I went out into the country to the home of a doctor I had known since boyhood. We worked in five below zero weather, fixing on an old, on an elm tree, a wrought iron device, which modestly proclaimed that he was indeed indeed a country doctor. I had no money, well, maybe a dime, and only the clothes I stood in. Bob, he asked quietly, do you want to live or die? He meant it, I knew he did. I did not remember much of the 10-day binge, but I remember the years of agony preceding the binge. I remembered the years I had thrown away. I had just turned 46, maybe it was time to die. Hope had died, or so I thought. But I said humbly, I suppose I want to live. I meant it. From that instant to this, nearly eight years later, I have not had the slightest urge to drink. I chose to believe that the power greater than ourselves, we asked for help, wrapped my shivering body in loving warmth and strength, which has never left me. The doc and I went back into the house. He had a shot of brandy against the cold and passed me the bottle. I set it down and made myself a a cup of coffee. I have not had a drink of anything alcoholic since that 10-day binge. Please do not think it ended so simply and so easily simply yes it did end where i changed my mind about alcohol and it state changed but for the next years i worked hard and ex- ex- exultantly in aa mm-hmm. in the little in the nearby little town there was a plumber who once had tried to get an aa group going i went over and met him and we started the group up again It is going strong still, these eight years later, and some of its members have been of great influence for good in statewide AA work. I myself have been lucky enough to help out. I've had the joy of seeing many a human being, down and out, learn to stand straight again and to proceed under his own power to happiness in life. I learned the true meaning of bread Mm -hmm. cast Mm -hmm. upon the waters. There were debts totaling nearly $10,000 to be paid off. They were almost paid, and the end is in sight. I've been allowed to build an entirely new career in a field I had never worked in. I've published a book covering certain aspects of this field, which has been well reviewed and which is helping other people. I've been appointed to the faculty of my old school to teach in my new field. All of my family and loved ones, all of my friends, are nearer and dearer to me than ever before, and I have literally dozens of new friends who say they cannot believe that a short eight years ago, I was ready. I was ready for the scrap heap. When I remark that I have been in jail nine times, and in an al- alcoholic ward twice, they think I'm kidding, or possibly dramatizing for the sake of a good yarn. But I know I'm not. I remember how horrible jails are, how dreadful a thing it is to be behind steel bars. I wish we did not have to have jails. I wish everyone could be an AA. And if everyone were there, would be no need for jails, in my opinion. For I am happy, I thought I could never be happy. A happy man is not likely to do harm to another human being. Harm is done by sick people, as I was sick and doing dreadful harm to myself and to my loved ones. For me, AA is a synthesis of all the philosophy I've ever read, all of the positive, good philosophy, all of it based on love. I've seen that there is only one law, the law of love, and there are only two sins. The first is to interfere with the growth growth of another human being, and the second is to interfere with one's own growth. I still want to write a fine play and to get it on. I gladly do it anonymously as I have done this brief account of my struggle with alcohol merely to present certain ideas for the consideration of the reader. I don't care too much about my personal fame or glory, and I want only enough money to enable me to do the work I feel I can perhaps do best. I stood off and took a long look at life and the values I found in it. I saw a paradox that he who loses his life does indeed find it. The more you give, the more you get. The less you think of yourself, the more of a person you become. In AA, we can begin again no matter how late it may be. I have begun again at 54. I've had come true for me the old wish. If only I could live my life over knowing what I know now. That's what I am doing, living again, knowing what I know. I hope I have been able to impart to you, the reader, at least a bit of what I know, the joy of living, the irresistible power of divine love, and its healing strength, and the fact that me, as beings, sentient beings, have the knowledge to choose between good and evil, and choosing good are happy. The end.
0: Amen and amen. Thank you so much. What a reading. Uh, It's amazing how uh, the guy got rolled so many times, Fernando Alcoholic, they kept taking his watch, you know, and every two weeks he'd buy another watch, buy another watch. And um, I thought about rolling people when I was waiting uh, in the back of a bar at 13 years old. I found the magic elixir and me and my buddy, we waited till two in the morning till a drunk came out of this dark alley bar. It was kind of like an around Sunset Boulevard up by Dodger Stadium. And at 13 years old, we waited and we figured, well, the guy's drunk, it's gonna be easy, you know, to take his wallet. And at 13, I got a whipping the the guy came alive yeah. and he jumped at me and he got me in a head like he started piling my head, and with his other foot he's kicking my friend and he's yelling, "Help! Help!" He's yelling help, and then I start yelling, <laughs> "I start yelling help, help! Yeah. Child endangerment! Child endangerment!" Yeah. I was finally able to get out of there, and I'll never do that again. You know, I, I went to go work to buy my own booze, and or sort of take cans in. About
1: time. I rolled a guy in skid row me and another guy and it's just I still think about it and uh, I hope to God he's okay it was just one of those things the drink the desire to drink overtook uh, everything anything decent inside of me said whatever he's got I need not that I wanted it I just needed a drink and sort of the guy I was with and through uh, those ugly means, we got our drink. And yes, it was very selfish. And I think, still think about it from time to time to this day. Hey, Amen. My, my rolling story.
0: So. You know, I, I kind of drank around the Echo Park area and we had a, a local drunk called Chico Reno. We used to call him Chico Reno. <laughs> and, and he would wear a suit all the time, wherever he went. You know, he would, I guess he was hanging on to his goals in life. But he was like Bill W., tall, white guy, lives sleep in the bushes and everything. And we Mm -hmm. young kids treated him, you know. We help him Mm -hmm. buy booze, and he's all drunk. We piss in the bottle and try to give him the booze. Well, I didn't. I just watched the older guys do that, you know. And I wouldn't do that. I don't think I did. But I remember one time my buddy, there was a salesman, and he thought he was drunk. He was taking a, a siesta, and he got a... In Echo Park, he found an a egg from a duck. You know, they're a little bigger, the eggs. And he got around the palm tree, and he saw the guy with his head lying down there, and he smashed that big old egg in his head. And that salesman got up, and you've never seen a gazelle run like crazy right after <laughs> my, After my buddy from palm tree to palm tree got a hold of him and uh, made the guy squeal like a piggy, and yeah. I'm watching all that, and, uh, and the man was very fair. He goes, come on, man, I'm taking you to the authorities. And he started pulling that young kid around. That young kid eventually had uh, died in drugs and alcohol in a car accident, which was very sad and was a big turnout at the... Uh, because They were a very popular family in that area. And I saw the rest of the family members, little by little, being put away o- under drugs and alcohol. Um, so thank God for having babies, right, and and having to go to work at age 16 and changing your life and, and being responsible at 18 when you have a boy and changing your life because you're looking after somebody, Yeah. you know, so that changed my life. And even though I, I still was adventurous in places I shouldn't be. Thank God that all is forgiven. Thank God. You know, God says, I forgive you. Uh, don't do it again. Go help others. And that's what we're doing today. We're praying that this long story, this
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: long-winded story, and this guy, no wonder they pulled this story out, man. I thought it was, yeah. you
1: know,
0: <laughs> he was being... Uh, very elegant in his writing and being very creative. Maybe he was thinking that Hollywood will find him or something, but uh, now I heard Bible people are making their Bibles at fourth grade level. It used to be, uh. like the, by the big books written, I heard at eighth grade level. You know, they, that, and now, and I'm reading that one because she just makes a lot of street sense, uh, eighth grade level. You know, you instead of... Uh, university. See, I'm going long-winded now. What did you get out of it?
1: <laughs> well, speaking of the writer in particular, uh, I got something. Two things to say. At first, when he was drinking, he's describing everything. Plus, he states he's a writer. I know how writers are. I got a sense of arrogance and long-windedness and over-descriptiveness. But see, now I'm doing the same thing keep as going, him. Keep going. Keep going. I thought, would I drink with this guy? No. He would probably bore me to tears, or worse. Like, yeah, right, sure, and whatever. Been there, done that. However, conversely, I'm so happy for the guy because uh, his outlook did a 180, and uh, it's just such the opposite that he expressed humility, and he he said he would even publish something if it goes on Broadway or whatever, anonymously. And uh, so I'm glad he's not drinking also. And uh, would I hang out with him now? Probably love to. Why not? You know, and uh, he sounds like he's got an awful lot to offer uh, as opposed to before getting rolled all the time and probably poor me and blah, blah, blah. And uh, God forbid he can't uh, come up with the 10 bucks and has to work on the county farm, you know, to satisfy the judge. So anyway, yeah, he... I'm not putting down his long-windedness. A story's a story, and he's putting on his whole life in a nutshell. That's probably pretty hard to do right there. And I imagine how much, how much of the story actually ended up on the cutting room floor, if that's all he wrote. So, anyway, God bless you, sir. Whoever you are, or wherever you are. Yes, God bless you. Thank you so much for,
0: you know, the uh, the theme of it is right out of the Bible. You know, you know, be happy and uh, yeah it was it just reminded me that it was uh and it wasn't as what I thought you know I thought it was more and more about pointing to God pointing to God, but this guy pointed himself and and you know yeah. and how all the people cut him off and everything it was very descriptive yeah. poured his thank you for bringing that up poured his heart into that writing and so yeah. forth he did you know
1: uh, and, uh, and i'm I'm Taking a wild guess, he wrote it completely sober. So um, he probably has a very good memory.
0: Well, he didn't—he didn't lose none of his tack when it's the story I read. 50, we read fifteen years prior to his original reading, uh, man. Yeah. He was still the same guy, you know. It's
1: like, but he was still sober. Yeah, so still it's, sober. It's just a little more mature. That's all.
0: Yeah, and that's uh, he who loses his life is taken right out of the Bible, what Jesus says. Yeah. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. So when we lose our life for the sake of a newcomer, we find our happiness. You know, like... A,
1: yeah, it was on that last couple of paragraphs he was writing about that.
0: Mm. And then, uh, amen. You can be happy now while working with someone else. That's how we can be happy now. Wow, that's 45-minute recording. Thank you, God. Thank you, everyone, that's for good. coming on here. Let's go ahead and close off with Thine is, is the, the kingdom, kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Keep coming back. It would